0: Hey playwright, I'm Tori Rice and I'm Mabel Reynoso, and welcome to Hey Playwright, a podcast about playwriting and life. Hey Mabel, hey Tori, I haven't seen you in a long time in person, and I actually still have your Christmas. present. I have yours too. That, that I need to, uh, I need to zoom on over. <laughs> zoom. I shouldn't say zoom on over because it has a whole different meaning now. Yes. So I need to make the pilgrimage to, to your side of the world so I can. Uh... There's actually another person that I have to drop off a pair of roller skates. I got them roller skates for Christmas. Wow. Um, and oh, by the way, uh-huh. speaking of roller skates, um, John was telling me that he was at Balboa Park the other day with the kiddos and there are a bunch of people roller skating there. And I thought I better tell Tori this because audience, I don't know if you know this. But my home girl Tori is a former roller roller derby. What do you call it? a rollerina? What do you what? What's your what do they call you people? Oh my gosh i i like i
1: like rollerina. No, as um, I skated with the San Diego Derby Dolls for a stint. I really enjoyed it. That is a that is a moment in time that I that I cherish. And actually, you know, it's interesting that that. We're talking about this because on December 31st, someone that I skated with who I considered um, a mentor, someone that I really looked up to and appreciated her wisdom on on and off the track, went out for a jog and was hit and killed in her neighborhood in La Mesa. Her skate name was Lemon Drop and she was spectacular is i mean her light definitely still shines on in the derby community they're talking about roller derby lemon uh, rest in peace for sure but there is a a rink open the san diego derby dolls they they um, had lost their space downtown and neely goldfarb uh, aka ringer who is in charge of san diego derby dolls she actually um purchased a place off of the 94 and there is a rink there i you know i'm sure that with the stay-at-home orders it's probably very limited um but maybe now that things are starting to open up again that it might be open so there's that yeah i think they changed their name actually to derby united so it's derby united now but yeah that was a huge loss to the derby community. And it's one of those things where you form this bond. And even if you drift apart, like our lives go in different ways, right? Like I broke my ankle when I was 40. And I just found it hard to go back in once my ankle had healed. I mean, okay, truth be told, I was never the best skater. But I did enjoy the camaraderie. I did make some friends that I'm still in contact with. Um, I like catching up with people. But to that point, Mabel, do you have any friends like that that you've made um over the years that you may not see all of the time but you have that bond that that when you see them it's like time never, you know, <laughs> like you were never apart?
0: My college roommates. My so I um when I was a freshman, I moved into a the the dorms at NYU and it was um the one that I moved into was like an apartment like a suite style. So there were there were three bedrooms and we shared there were two bathrooms um in our like in our apartment for, for lack of a better for, for, in our suite. Um and uh so there were but there were six of us basically six of us living there and I keep in contact with with four, one of us was older. She was a senior, poor thing. Um, she got stuck with five freshmen, so that sucked for her. She was a good sport about it, but uh, but my roommates, I still keep in touch with them. And then my the the person who I shared the the an actual bedroom with, um, her name is Gabriella, Gabby. Like it's like we're still roommates and stay up all night talking whenever we are. In each other's space so the last she was actually going to come out here in april and then covid happened so yeah it's such a bummer she was going to bring her daughter and it was going to be really cool they were going to stay at our house but she had been she had been here um probably like eight months before that and we would just stay up all night talking and uh yeah and it's like no time has passed and i will say that we probably only speak like maybe once a year but but she's one of those people that i just connected with right away which is weird because she's the opposite of me she's like you in in you know what kind loving generous beautiful spirit you know just just is a good person and i'm the opposite of that you know where she where she's she like is peaceful and loving, and and loves the earth, and eats gluten free, and I think I think she stays away from from meat. I don't know, or, or she she tries to. She's just like one of those. She's just a light, and I'm the clouds, and and we complemented each other very well. And um, I feel like she's she's very much the way that our relationship is yours and mine, you know, where you're you're the good guy
1: and I'm the what bad guy. Up? We all bring our light in unique ways. Okay.
0: <laughs> but you know you know what I'm saying. Right. Whereas whereas you're the fountain pen, I am the marker.
1: <laughs> oh my goodness. <laughs> ah okay. Well I I have to respectfully disagree I think that you you are a light um, no matter what you say or how you view yourself those of us on the outside uh, looking at you experiencing what it is to be in your presence and share space with you you're you're a bright light oh look at you you just needed it you needed to be <laughs> You need to be built up. <laughs> it's it's cool because our guest today is someone that I value in that way. Like we met back in LA, we met in a theater company, and we shared some of the same experiences in there and bonded over that. And I have loved watching her journey and just experiencing her journey. I will also say that. She invited me to audition for something that she was um, the cast she was working on casting and may have been producing as well. She invited me to audition and gave me my first major commercial gig when I was living in LA. So much gratitude to her for that. And it's a really fun spot that I got to do. She's a fabulous person all around and does so many things like, you know, I I, I was thinking about it. And and my mind is just a little blown about she she is a person that I admire, respect. And when you are in the space with her, you are the most important person in the room. She is one of those people that has the ability to Make you feel valued. She does value you genuinely. And yeah, I just, uh, I love her.
0: Awesome. Well, without further ado, let us bring on our guest.
1: All right. So, Mabel. I am floored today because we have an extraordinary guest. I'm looking at her. I so wish that our listeners, our two listeners, our moms my could mom. see her right now. Oh, my, mom. my mom's
2: gonna listen too. So
1: now oh, you. Oh, know. okay. Ah, yay! Ah, <laughs> so she is an internationally produced playwright with over sixty produced. She is also a successfully published author. She has written books, not just for youth, but for adults. She has um, had her plays done across the country and internationally. She has films under her belt. She co-writes. So she has a lot of collaborators. By the way, she also is a dog lover. (laughs) She's a people lover. She is a cyclist. She's really just an amazing person, and I am really thrilled to invite Colette Friedman to our podcast. Woo! Yay! Welcome,
0: welcome, welcome, welcome,
1: Thank Colette. You. Oh my goodness, I am so excited to reconnect with you. It has been so many years since those days back in Los Angeles doing what
2: we did. Oh, I my know gosh. I miss you, and you know it's funny when you were just kind of doing my bio. It's the first time I've heard my bio out loud. When I just thought, "Wow, I'm old. I'm so old." Because you know, uh, <laughs> it, it, you reach a, per- a certain age when you're like, "Oh yeah, I've done a lot of stuff." Because I'm old. So when no, yeah. you no, read it, no, no, no. Yeah, I'm, I, I'd like to know me when
1: I grow up. So I would say accomplished, not old. Yes, that's a great word. Right? Because if you if you look back at the trajectory of your life and think about where you were at 30 and think about now. I mean, where are you more grounded?
2: Uh, 100% now. 100%. One hundred percent. And also, well, I say that to kids who are kids who are about to turn forty. I don't think life starts for a woman until you're in your forties, because then A, you don't give a shit anymore. And B, you've kind of you're you are not afraid of anything. So you own life rather than letting life own you. So I think something clicks at 40. So however long you last, you know, your 50s, 60s, 70s, 80s, 90s, however, until you die, that's when life truly starts. So the twenties are miserable and no one ever talks about that, Yeah, you're, uh, you know, you're adorable, your boobs are up to your nose, you're, you know, filled with youth and exuberance and naivete, but you're also filled with youth exuberance and naivete and you just don't get it. And then 30s, you're just kind of figuring out all the shit that went down in your 20s. And by the time you're 40, you just get it, you get it all.
1: Mabel, weren't we just talking about that, especially you were saying that, right? You were saying, I just don't give a shit. It's so true. Mm. It's so true. And then I turned 50 and went, oh, yeah. I forget sometimes, though, that
2: I'm 50, in my 50s now. Well, because you, you I mean? look like a child. And also, yeah, let's, so- re- let's redefine what age is. You know, I right. still remember being in second grade and thinking the fifth graders were so old. So well, they were. They were. <laughs> so now you're like, oh, everyone's kind of the same age. After, after you grow up, everyone's pretty much the same age. that is a really good way to put it it is because you get over 50 and you know
1: suddenly age is just that it's a word right Mm -hmm. because you know you're surrounded by people and and i mean personally i really like to be around people who are older than me because the wisdom what i can learn from them that is what i
2: am eager to do right now well look my best friend jill was 30 years older than i was so you know talk about someone who had been where I was going and kind of helped me cut through the red tape or at least make it more palatable. So
1: as I was reading over your website, and by the way, I've kept up with you, you know, through Facebook and all of that. And also, um, I got your book, The Affair and really enjoyed it. And thank you! was there a film that was made
2: out of that? Or it's getting ready to happen? No, well, there was a sequel called The Consequences. And ironically, there was a there was a show on Showtime called The Affair, which was also a Rashomon told from three points of view. But, you know, everyone steals everything. So who cares?
1: I know. I know. Isn't that something? And I remember seeing that. And I thought, is that Colette's? Yeah. And I, I-, I had a lot
2: of people say, congratulations, you've got a show on Showtime. I'm like, no, I don't. Uh, yes,
1: but you have so many other things happening. And so one thing I was wondering is, How are you juggling everything, especially like right now during the pandemic? Like what,
2: what, what are you doing right now? Honestly, it's, you know, in talking to you and Mabel, like the reason I can juggle so many things is because I don't have kids. You guys Mm. know your kids, they suck you dry. I mean, they're wonderful and it's great you have them and, you know, hopefully they'll take care of you when you're older if, if you don't kill them first, but, uh, You know, I don't have kids, so the only people who truly depend on me are these two dogs who are nightmares for two hours a day, but then they sleep. They're greyhounds, so they sleep the other 22 hours. So other than the two hours, I'm kind of trying to navigate and negotiate them I can work. So it's very easy for me to be working on several projects at once. And that's why I'm super prolific. I'm also really ambitious. And I always say to my students, I don't believe that good work should be stuck on the computer. So I don't write a book that can't be Published. I don't write a movie that can't be produced. I don't write a play that can't be put on. So, like, uh, one of my biggest pet peeves is people who are like, oh, "Spend ten years writing the great American novel." Well, one, I don't have ten years to write the great American novel. Two, I'm not that good of a writer to you know write the great American novel. I I'd rather write a. a I rather write ten good American novels in ten years than one in ten years. So. I've pub- I have had a lot of books published traditionally and self-published because again, why should they be on my computer?
1: So, how does that shift your mindset then if you're saying, "Hey, I just want to make sure this gets out there. I feel like this is valuable, needs to be out in the world." Does that is that a mindset shift from I'm working on the great American novel?
2: I don't know. I mean, maybe the it's just the artistry. Like for me it's artist and commerce. Um, you know, I I love people who are true um auteurs. I don't know what the right word is, but people who really just like every word matters and everything is just so perfect. I'm not a perfectionist. So, you know, I have a natural talent. I'm good at Putting it down, putting it out there. I have. I, I know my voice really well by this time of my life, and so um, it's just something that happens. I don't. When I write, I'm 100 in the writing process. Whether it's a you know, a lifetime movie my partner and I are writing, or an independent film we're doing, or a novel or a play I'm working on. And then when it's done, I think, okay, what's next? Where are we going with this? I so, love it. <laughs> yeah, it's very rare that I have something that hasn't been made or is in the process. Like, uh, Brooke Purdy and I wrote The Last Bookstore, which is one of my favorite things I've ever done. It's a dystopian story about a bunch of kids going, a brother and a sister and their friends, um, after there's been an EMP. So the world is very different, um, landscape and they need to travel through this dangerous territory to find a book. It's all about finding knowledge. And um, it's really good. It won so many grand prize awards a couple years ago and that, and, you know, $5 buys me a double nonfat cappuccino at Starbucks. So we're like, that's great. We won prize money. It's, you know, we, we won the accolades, but nothing's happening. So then we turned around and we wrote the YA book of it because that way we'd have an intellectual property. We could, you know, throw it up on Amazon, which it is. And that way it has more exposure to people. And again, that is taking its time because it's not something, you know, I can produce or get produced. It's not a $250,000 film. This is a four quadrant, you know, several million dollar film, but I know it'll get made at some point. And we're just, we're continuing to not, I never give up hope. So even though it may take, you know, five, 10 years, it'll get made. Wow. I mean, I'm just thinking back to one
1: of the first pieces of writing that I saw. And you performed in it too. You're an actress as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was the the first one to
2: the, oh, what was first, the name of it? First to the egg. First to the egg. Yep. Yep. There's a, there's a, that's how, you know, I I have a big belief, I, I have a big belief that everyone has that aha moment in them where they do what they're supposed to have done their entire lives and just weren't aware of it. And um I was in the theater company with Tori and we acted together. We played lesbian sisters. I brushed your hair. You had lost yes, your hair did. down your back. You did a great job. I love it. But mm. but part of it was you had to go like, oh, you're pulling my hair. See, these are the random things that I remember. Oh, yeah. It was head. my sis it was my sister in this house. My sister in this house, yes, that was fun. Yeah. Um so in this theater company, you know, I moved out to LA to become a famous actress, because that's what all people do, all actors well, yeah. do. And they also <laughs> Every actor join, you know, they become a waiter and join a theater company. And so, Tori and I were in this theater company together, Circus Theatricals, and they had a um, they had a ten minute play festival. Because in all theater companies, if you're not in the main stage, they put you in a in the ten minutes. So, hey, writers out there, I say this to everyone: you guys go write a ten minute play. There's such a need for them. There's such a need for 10 minute plays with women because theater companies have more women than men. I mean, do non-gender non-binary all that, but write women anyway. So I'm on, so I'm on the committee and I'm reading these plays and I have that aha moment that I hope everyone, including our three moms or who are listening to this podcast have at some point in their life, which is, I can do better. And so I wrote my first play called First to the Egg. And and I love uh, personifying objects. So it was about a nerdy sperm who convinced a self-important egg that he was the one. And um, I wrote it under a pseudonym, Naomi Lefkowitz, because I was too embarrassed to say that I had written it. And everyone theater company was like, oh my God, this is so good. You have to do it, blah, blah, blah. And I was like, I'm Naomi Lefkowitz. And, uh, and so it ended up being done in London. Um, it won a diversity contest. We did the short film of it. And all of a sudden I was like, huh, what's the universe trying to tell me? I, uh, i I've been here for 10 years struggling to play girlfriend number three and prisoner number six and all these like rando acting jobs. And then I write one 10 minute play and it's like heaps of praise and success are put upon it. So that was kind of my foray into writing. Was that play? Yeah, yeah, and it was incredible. And you were, you were wonderful in the part as well. <laughs> it yeah. so cool. it's easy when you write stuff for yourself. I love writing stuff for myself because I know my like comedic voice, so I can mm-hmm. hit the beats. Um, but yeah, it was a it was a good time. That play's been done a lot, so apparently a lot of people want to see sperms and eggs come together. Well,
1: heck yeah! Like, do you start with story? Do you start with character? um is it a combination of those like where where do the ideas come from
2: it's a combination i am a big fan of writing so if i get paid for a job the idea comes from the person who's paying me and i just you know right c- cut the paycheck and you know do what i'm told if i'm generating it it's everything's always character driven but um, so like a perfect example of Sister Cities. Sister Cities, um, which is kind of like my benchmark story because it's been done so many times in so many ways, is um, uh, two things. Uh, so it's a story of uh, four estranged sisters who reunite for their mom's alleged suicide. And uh, I know I wanted to write my first full-length play. And um, my best friend, Jill Gascoigne had been a famous actress in... England and was in our theater company, but was kind of getting ready to retire. And I said, but what if I write a play? I want you to be in it. And she said, oh darling, don't, I'm, not, I'm only gonna be in a play if I play a corpse. So I was like, oh. challenge accepted. I'm gonna write about a corpse. <laughs> And then um, my grandma,
1: you did her voice voice perfectly.
2: Usually I mess it up. So I'm glad I did it well. Um, It must be my new micro, my new Rode microphone. Um, And then the second thing and the more important thing, the story was um, my grandmother had Alzheimer's and my mother who kind of had to watch that slow, hellacious death um, always said to me repeatedly, if I get Alzheimer's, I need you to kill me like completely unapologetically. And I was like, all right, mom, she goes, no, no, you really have to kill me. So I'm like, okay, mom, I will kill you if you get Alzheimer's. So I had my story. Now there are a lot of plays about Alzheimer's. So I changed it to ALS because I had a cousin who had ALS. And also, you know, I spend a lot of time thinking about death and, uh, uh, I don't know what the worst way to go is, uh, you know, having Alzheimer's and having a fully functioning body while your mind slowly disappears or having ALS where your mind is fully intact, but your body is slowly dying. So both of them terrify me. But um, so I made it about ALS. I also wanted, I thought it was interesting to write a part and, and Jill, the mom is only in one flashback scene. And it's the tour de force part when, um, for any actress who plays it, but because she has ALS, she's, she has to sit in the chair the entire 10 minutes of the scene, so she can only use her voice, and it's and it's basically a 10-minute monologue with a little bit of interruption, and um, so that was the story, okay? I know I had the story, and then I had to write the characters. Now, this is about sisters, and I don't have any sisters. Everyone thinks I do after, you know, seeing that play or reading the book or watching the movie on Netflix, but no, Um, I have one brother who's awesome. um, And he's convinced, you know, the the is after him because he was such an awesome brother, which he was, but I was also a field hockey and lacrosse player. So playing field hockey and lacrosse for, you know, eight years in high school and College and then coaching it afterwards, it's it's a sorority of sorts. And those women became my closest friends and they became like sisters to me. So each of the four sisters is kind of an amalgamation of uh some of these women who I played field hockey and lacrosse with. So I knew those characters very well. I always say with characters, write, right characters you know, the weirder the people, the stranger. Um, the more interesting, the quirkier. That's kind of where you start. Everyone's a version of you. I mean, all four sisters are clearly versions of me. But then you can push the boundaries by by infusing them and incorporating people who you actually know.
1: So much of what you were saying, the reason I'm nodding my head and I can see <laughs> Mabel nodding her head, it's things that that really resonate with me. Things that we talk about as well in our classes, and I just love it. I love hearing you talk about your process. Um, I'm gonna give Mabel a chance to talk because <laughs> I've been hogging you. I can't help
0: it. Well, <laughs> I, and I just want to, um, to plug one more time that Sister um, Sister Cities is on Netflix. So I did not read the play, but I saw the the film and it's beautiful. It's an amazing film and it had me, I think I texted um, bawling emojis to Tori after I watched it. Um, it's really, really lovely. And um, hearing about the, the, the situation and the the four different characters, which I thought were so beautifully, diff- like everybody was so, I mean, there's four characters, right? We talk about this story, like how do we make, how do we tell a story and ha- and elevate these four different characters? But one thing that I would love to um, step back and talk about, was Sister Cities your first play, your fir- first full-length play? Mm-hmm. So, can you talk about that process? Because Tori and I are in the process of writing full length plays, and Tori's a little bit scared. So- okay, I'll tell
2: you. I'll tell you exactly how to do it. Um, and uh, this is what I tell because I teach playwriting. So, uh, you know, you guys have done a bunch of ten minute plays, which are ten you know, minute plays are my jam for sure. Yeah, but it's yeah. easy. You have the foundation now. So, this is here. Here are all the hacks. Is that um. And I'll send you guys "Sister Cities" the play so you can see it. If you, I, I make my I make my students not narcissistic at all. Read "Sister Cities" and read John Logan's "Red," because in my opinion, mm. other yeah. than uh, and that's you can get that uh, just right. Google that it's available. Um, oh no, yeah. Other than uh, August Osage County, which I think is a beautiful, beautiful play, but you need money to make that because there's so many characters and so many rooms and levels. Um, Both Red and both John Logan and Colette Friedman, uh, two playwrights of our time, uh, they're similar things. They're both about 75 pages. Okay, so now you know, okay, I have to read 75 pages. They're both 90 minutes. We did uh, Sister Cities with uh, an intermission when it first started, but it can easily be done 90 minutes, no intermission. Look, the point of intermissions are to sell drinks. So if you want to sell drinks, you know, do that. But I think everyone has such. no, no one's pe- attention span, you know, can sit through a Eugene O'Neill play anymore. So, you know, kind of what's trending now are these 90 minute no intermission plays. And um, if you do have an intermission, which is fine, and, and I did this in Sister Cities, you have to have something so spectacular happen at the end of Act One that's going to want people to come back for Act Two. And I, in the play, something absolutely spectacular happens. So people can't not you know, leave and go out to dinner early. They have to come back and watch the last 35 minutes. So 75 pages, one set. do one set. I can't even tell you how tired I am of seeing a play like, okay, it's a it's an airport and then it's a car and then it's a waiting room. and no, just make it a living room. make it a kitchen, you know, make it a, a wherever. But think of your set first. So a set, 75 pages. Um, both John Logan and I do five scenes. So what is that, you know, five scenes, 15 pages each, you know, some are, scenes should be like between 12 and 20 pages. So just average 15. And, um, I think five to seven characters is your sweet spot. Mm-hmm. Uh, but you know, the less characters, the easier it is to get made. You look at, uh, uh, Molly Sweeney, which is a beautiful play by Brian Friel. That's a three-hander. It's a three-person play, basically all monologues, three chairs, three actors. Like that's a great play, too. So, you know, Dancing a Luna a gorgeous, gorgeous right. play about the sisters, one set. So, you know, write a play that's going to be produced. And a mm-hmm. one-set play is going to make it produced. A play that has, you know, the fewer actors, the better it'll be produced. And try and write a play. Look, one of my heroes is Yasmin Reza, who did uh, art, three mm. people, a couch and a chair and a white painting and God of Carnage, a living room. Mm. And Yasmin Reza uh, workshops her plays, and this is what I do too, in black box theaters, little 99 seat theaters or, and, and, and any 99 seat theaters really like any theater that has less than 99 seats. So it could be like, 30 seats or 12 seats. Um, and workshop it that way, get it on its feet in a small place. And that way, you know, your characters are on point, your dialogues on point, and then it could, you know, be published and produced.
1: Oh, yeah, that is great advice. Um, the workshopping of it is so important. And I think um, choosing an intimate setting, even more so. Mm-hmm. Um, so let me ask you this, you you are at a point, I think, where you know, you've established and built relationships. So now when you write something, it's um, probably a a little easier for you to reach out and go, Hey, I've got this thing, I want to get together and have a reading or do a workshop. What advice do you have for someone who is just starting out, they've written a play, um, how do they go about making that connection with a
2: theater company or like what what advice would you give to them? Um well the first advice is you have to be passionate about it, about your own project. If you are not passionate about it, no one else will be. When I did Serial Killer Barbie the musical, I didn't have a relationship with a theater company at that point and I kind of cold called the artistic director of a theater company. I'm like, "Who I knew through a friend of a friend, but I said, I need to put on this musical and you're the company to do it. And I I spoke so passionately about this musical. And again, stories come from your heart. Uh, serial Killer Barbie started because in high school, and if any of these people are listening from high school, I apologize. But I wanted to round up all of the popular girls, put them on a bus and have the bus go over a cliff. Okay? So that's why. I dealt with my middle school angst. And so it became this play about this girl who doesn't fit in, is desperately trying to fit in and then realizes when she can't fit in, she's, you know, if you can't join them, kill them. So it's a dark comedy with music and I convinced the theater company to put it on. And so um, the musical director and I uh, auditioned people from the theater company and anyone who didn't fill the spots, we just put out an open call to. So, um, so it doesn't matter how established you are. Yeah, you're going to start with your friends. You're going to write stuff with your friends. But if not, you know, God, I, I assume backstage is still around. net is still around. You just put it out. People, I, I don't know what the statistics are. Let's pretend that they're a thousand actors a day are weak, moving to Los Angeles. They all want to be in something. And so um, if you put it out there on whatever social media platform, hell, you can just put on Facebook, hey, I I have a play, I need... Three women in their 40s, one man in his 70s and one boy in his teens who knows someone and you'll get a flurry of responses or talk to so-and-so. I know a casting director. So it is all who you know. But because of, you know, the joy and toxicity of uh, social media, it really makes things so much easier to uh, get things organized.
1: So Mabel is a huge fan of musicals. And so I wanted to ask you what, what made you decide to make serial killer Barbie into a musical rather than a play?
2: That is a great question, Tori. Um, so I had written it as a 10 minute play years earlier. Um, you know, again, I also did a whole, after first to the egg, I ended up in the same theater company. I did a, uh, five by Friedman, like uh, uh, deconstructing the Torah when the shtick hits the fan. And so I had to write in addition to first to the egg, four more 10 minute plays and zero killer Barbie was one of them. And it was a great kind of self-contained 10 minute play. So cut to, uh, 10 years later, my husband had passed away and I was in the middle of the throes of major grief, um, which I was just starting to come out of. And, um, one of my best friends who had played Dallas in the original Sister Cities. I had seen her, her name's Michaela Schlanger, and I had seen her in, um, she played, Piano. And I saw her at a coffee shop, like singing her original songs, playing piano. And then at the very end of her set, she said, Oh, and I'm going to do this. And she pulled out a guitar and started playing. And something snapped in me. It's like I always thought she was unbelievably talented to be able to play piano and sing. But then the fact that she could play guitar also, she was magic. And all I wanted to do was make something with her. So cut to, I'm kind of coming out of my grief and ready to create something again. She, um, she had had a miscarriage and was dealing with her own stuff. So we go on a hike and we talk about, we're talking about like, let's do something, let's do something. I'm like, well, I think I should write a play about, you know, dealing with your grief over a dead husband. And she said, well, maybe it should be the grief over a dead baby. And we're like, okay, who's going to shell out, you know, 50 bucks for tickets, a hundred bucks for dinner, you know, 75 bucks for the babysitter to go see this depressing ass musical. So then I said, okay, well, let's go back through the things I've written before and see if anything inspires you. And so I gave her like all my 10 minute plays. And she read, um, I want to say she was in the original. Uh, she, she had been around for um, the original serial killer Barbie. And she said, yes, let's make a musical out of this. So I expanded it from 10 pages to 75 pages and she we figured out where the music would go. Nikella's brilliant. What makes Serial Killer Barbie so good is Nikella's music. I mean, it's fine, my writing's good and everything, but her music, her songs elevate this musical. It just got um it just got published, which is exciting. Um and the publisher sent me the, you know, sent me the the music and the, you know, the book and all the little like uh, songs. And she goes, congratulations, this won't be done until the pandemic's over. But yay, um, because there are 13 people and then three musicians. But uh, that's how we decided. N- Nickel and I wanted to write something joyful that people would go to. And again, it did. We sold out for four months and then it was done in New Zealand. It's a, It's a really great musical that's uh, timely because it's about bullying. It's about um, inclusivity. So, um, and God, her songs are so good. You can, uh, I mean, you can hear them, I think, uh, what is that? On CD Baby and Amazon. Just hear clips of them and you'll fall in love with her her music. Um, I
1: might have been at that same coffee shop watching her play because
2: I, I remember. When yeah, she pulled out I, the guitar? She, yeah. It was, it was, wasn't it magical? You're like, she can do this too. It didn't, yeah. it didn't
1: like compute in my head. And I gotta say when I fell in love with her as an artist was when she was in, um, I believe it was three sisters.
2: Oh, she's such a good actress.
1: And she was incredible. And, uh, yeah. And then to see that she was able to play piano and
2: sing and guitar and
1: yeah. And isn't, an, an awesome mom too. So yeah, she's
2: a super mom with three little kids. So
1: yeah, a little anymore. Right. I know none of our kids are It's, it's how quickly it happens is a little dizzying, to be honest. Um,
2: so you're a teaching. You're a teaching artist as well. I am. I love teaching. Who knew? Who knew? I always, I was right? saying to the other day, I'm like, I want you guys to be better than I am. I want the students to surpass the teacher. There's not, like I have kids who are starting to write books and I'll see my name in the, thank you very much, Colette Friedman. And like that gives me more joy than my own books. So yeah, I really, I like teaching. And, and where are you teaching right now? I'm teaching at three different places. Um, the nice thing, again, and it's uh, what I always say to people too: don't get pigeonholed. You know, don't, you can't. Ju- you don't only have to write comedy. You don't only have to write screenplays. You don't. You can do it all. So I teach. Pl- I I teach playwriting. I teach screenplay writing. I teach novel writing. I teach TV uh, writing. Like I teach it all because I've done it all. Um, but I teach at New York Film Academy, um, and I teach at Antioch in both Santa Barbara and Los Angeles, they have two different campuses and I teach screenwriting at one campus and playwriting at another campus. And I teach at a place called studio arts, which is super cool. It's uh, adults who are in the business in different capacities. Usually I have a lot of like storyboard artists and uh, graphic artists and people from like bento box and Nickelodeon who can come back and look for their second career as writers. And I, I kind of, navigate them through the territory of what it means to write a screenplay.
0: As a person who teaches both screen writing and playwriting, what would you say to someone who is shifting from screenwriting to playwriting? What is the big the big thing that they should keep in mind when they're when they're trying their hand at playwriting?
2: Because it's different. Do it. Do, do it. Else. Just do it. I tell everyone they should be a playwright. I tell, I walk into screenwriting classes. I'm like, I will teach you how to write a great screenplay, but you should be a playwright. Here's the thing, because we're we're in an ever-changing world. And now, you know, it, it, even before the pandemic, TV was starting to move ahead of movies. And if you look at every single TV show, it's, oh my God, I sound like my mom, TV show. If you look at every single TV show, um, now I can't stop saying it, TV show. Uh, They have two playwrights on their staff. Every single one of them has playwrights on their staff. So it doesn't, you can learn any, I had to write a TV show and I'd never written a TV show. And you just, you look at the formula and you figure out, you copy the structure. You know, same thing, screenwriting, it's a structure. It's a three act structure. You have to have an inciting incident. You've got to do the act breaks. It's moments. But here's the thing about a play. A play is 100% character and dialogue driven. And the best films the best of everything has that. So if you can really hone your craft as a playwright, you can do anything. And also like, so Sister City is the movie. Yeah, it's great. But the Sister City is the play is a much deeper level because it's very much about the characters and the dialogue. And then when it translates into the film that you saw, you know, a lot of that's cut because the camera follows emotion. It doesn't follow words. Also playwriting is a writer's medium where movies are not, you know, the film is you cash your check and then it's a dire- It's the director's job to do everything. As a writer, you don't really have a voice. Um, but uh, my writing partner and I do, we just had our like 11th lifetime movie out there, like Woman in Peril thing. And she won't watch them, but I do. And it's, for me, it's just interesting to see, oh, right, so they moved this from the ocean to a bench in a parking lot to save money. Or, oh, you know, so it's it's very much about the visual. become a playwright. Whatever story you have, you can tell in dialogue and character. So I just, I look, I've done lots of stuff, but I always call myself a playwright because I think that's the most honored of all of the genres that there are.
0: So Colette, you are a script doctor.
2: Yeah. That's that's how I make my most money is script doctoring.
0: Oh my gosh. That sounds... Magical, can you talk about what a script doctor is? What you do, how much power you have? Let's hear it because it sounds sounds like (laughs) the greatest job ever.
2: Um, it's the greatest job ever because you can wear your pajamas and don't have to put on a bra, like, it's a great job because you don't have to leave your house. What I love about being a script doctor and a ghostwriter because they're variations of the same thing is. Someone has an idea or someone's written something down, but they're too close to it and they don't necessarily have the skills to make it pop. So as a script doctor, I literally come in like a doctor and fix it. And, you know, uh, I'm gonna do a bad analogy. So let's say, you know, someone needs a bypass and, you know, they need to like stick stents in the heart and do all this stuff. That's what I'm doing. I'm making it so that it becomes more readable, more palatable. the conflict, uh, the rope is tightened in the tug of war. The characters are, you know, more colorful, more deeply layered. the The key to being a really good script doctor is always making sure that it's you're serving your client's vision and not your own. So you need to tell their story, not your story, and you need to get into their head the best that you can. And that's. Being an actor, being a playwright, that's what we do. We kind of, we embody the characters. So script doctoring, you're embodying the characters that someone else wrote and you're getting paid for it. Your name is never on it. And I never thought I could do that. Like I always thought my ego was too big. Like, no, my name has to be on everything, but there's so many big things out there that I've script doctored that no one will ever know other than my bank account. So, um, I enjoy it. I think it's also a nice break. I'm always working on like three things at, at a time, just because if you get stuck or bored or irritated with one of them, you can jump to the other. And um, I always try and make sure that I've got a ghostwriting gig or a script doctoring gig as one of them, because it's a different mindset getting into someone else's head. And it's fun.
0: Who typically hires you? Is it the writer or the producer? That brings you into to, to
2: the writer. It's a dirty little secret okay. because the, you know, for the writer to get it as good as he or she needs it to be before it even goes to a producer, they need an outside voice and an outside vision. So, um, uh, they'll hire me because it's they're getting credit for it anyway. You know what I mean? And when they bring it to the producer, they never hired anyone. They it's one hundred percent their. You know, gig. And then if it's if it's a film, then a lot of times producers come in and they'll have notes and that. And sometimes they'll just deal with them their, themselves or they'll come back to me and be like, hey, I'm going to hire you again to, you know, uh, Dr. Moore. How long have you been doing that? Seven years. Um, and then, uh, I do it on my own or, um, my writing partner is funnier than I am. And she and I will do it together on a bunch of projects. So we started, a, we started, a, uh, is it a podcast? It's not a podcast. Cause you see it, it's on YouTube. It's called midlife mutiny. And it's about inspiring writers to, um, write and it's awesome. And it's like two broads in the middle of their life who want to, who, who are basically telling you stop. Asking for permission. We're basically the older version of you guys. And um so, Yeah. So it's called Midlife Mutiny and it's free. <gasps> it's on YouTube. And um oh. and so she so you know, we put a thing on Facebook too, and we're like, we're we punch up a lot of things. Um again, she's very good with jokes and humor and stuff, very, very funny. So, and even me when I when I have gigs, I'm like, Oh, I know there's a joke here, but I can't find it. Brooke, help. And she'll she'll like email me three different jokes to put there. So that's a gift. That's people have that or don't. And she's, um, if you guys want to see what she's like, uh, we one of the films we made was called Quality Problems. Talk about like, you know, Tori, you want to know like, oh, how do I make a, how do I write a play? You just do it. It's, she had a screenplay and it, it took a village. Everything takes a village. Quality Problems, free on Amazon and it stars Brooke and her family. And I have a nice little, uh nice little part too but it just shows like where authentic humor comes from not the butum bum cha humor but observational humor which is just so exciting t- and and pleasant to watch
1: yeah i think um was there some sort of fundraising campaign for that project because i believe one of them that you were doing i remember donating to it it might have been of course
2: that. you did cuz you're a mensch um yeah, yeah. yeah. We crowdfunded. I, are we we I crowdfunded. crowdfunded. That's what yeah. it was. I love that. Yeah. Again, yeah. that's about being passionate. Like for me, like money, asking people for money is so awkward. But when I'm passionate about a project, I have no problem asking for money. And with Quality Problems, we easily raise the money because all of the the five of us, the five producers, directors, stars, um, all cared about this project so much. We wanted to birth this baby into the world. So we're like, yeah, give us money.
1: Yeah. No. And wasn't it, um, was she, she was battling
2: cancer, right? Yeah. That, yeah. yeah, but, yeah. It, it, but hasn't, she's been cancer free for 10 years, but it, the, right. the story is about that. Is about that. That's so what it's on. Yeah. Truth. yeah. Uh, okay. Well now I need to go and watch it.
1: Uh, yeah, you do. Hello. Yeah. <laughs> I need some more hours in the day. <laughs> yes. <laughs> no, but, uh,
0: But I'm going to get to that point now to do the asking for a friend. This question, again, came up um, from watching Sister Cities. Talking to Tori about this, and she reminded me that this question, my kids had asked me about this, and then she reminded me that it came from um, the 36 questions that lead to love. So, Colette, the question for you is, if you were able to live to the age of 90 and retain either the mind or body of a 30-year-old for the last 60 years of your life, which would you want? So, mind or body?
2: The mind or body of a thirty-year-old? Mm-hmm. Well, look, I'm a writer, so and I, I have a pretty like strong sense of self. So I don't care if I, you know, look like a ninety-year-old if I if my mind stays intact. As long, you know, like I don't want to be uh, to the point where I'm riddled with pain and you know agitating anxiety, and stuck in a wheelchair. But yeah, I'd rather have my mind. But
1: it's a tough call. That is a tough call. I was thinking about that question too, because if your mind is stuck at 30.
0: Right. My mind became much more
2: interesting (laughs) at 40. Yeah. I was going to say, I don't know if I want my 30-year-old mind. Right. I just don't want, I mean, I want, I want to be a 90-year-old who's still very lucid. Yes. But yes. Next, I don't want either of those. I want to be a a healthy 90-year-old body and mind. i reject your friend of a friend question (laughs)
0: yes (laughs) that's true tori i'm thinking back the person i was at at 30 i was a horrible human being i just had my kid and was all hormonal and awful i was terrible no yeah i reject that question as well Great. i don't
1: remember what i was doing at 30 but it's not as good as what i'm doing now that's for sure so now what we would like to invite you to do is uh share A writing exercise. One of your favorites. I know you have
2: a bunch of them under your belt. I do. Okay. Yeah. Um, Okay. So here's the writing prompt and I'm going to do it in real time. So that way you guys, you know, our readers, viewers can do it too. Um, Grab a book, whatever nearest book you have near you. No judgment. Could be like a comic book.
1: Oh, shit. All of my books are in the other room.
2: Well, you better oh my get God. it. The only thing in here is the is the Bible, and I don't even read it. You guys. All right, but that's your closest book. So, I mean, in all fairness, it does work better with like a normal book. But yeah, no, okay. I gotta see. If okay, I have a I'm gonna book.
0: I'm gonna I'm gonna cheat and use the second book. Okay. Wait, okay. Should it be a, should it be a fiction?
2: Oh wait, no. I like...
0: good books in here. Wait. I think fiction is fictions a better. Fictions better. Okay. okay. But it, but
2: it doesn't. No no no. It doesn't matter. That's fine. I like oh, no. I like the cover of that. Um. Look, mine's. <laughs> this shows how happy I am. The Fall of Heaven, the Pavlavis, and the Final Days of Imperial Iran. Okay. Okay. <laughs> okay. I think I have... I'm working on a project right now about Iran. I have Credi by Linda Berry. Okay. 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 Great. So we're gonna take our books, okay? And we're All gonna right. go like this. Okay. And when I say, uh, sorry, um, for people listening, you're gonna leaf through your book. And when I say stop, you're gonna stop. Okay. So paging okay. through. Okay, ready and go. Stop. All right, whatever page you stopped on, go to the top sentence on the right hand page. Okay, a- right, so you can do the left-hand page, story because you have an illustration. So what's the first sentence?
0: So is it the first? So mine is like the, the first full sentence. sentence? The full, first sentence, okay. Um, a territorial dispute between the kingdom of Poland and its ally, the Grand Duchy of Lithuania, and the Teutonic Knights led to the Hunger War in the summer of 1414, when both sides used scorched earth tactics to starve the other into submission.
2: Mariana whispered into his ear as she slowly pulled herself off of him. She knew that, you know, being the king's courtesan, she had power, but the only time she could ever, ex- you know, expel her power was right after they had fornicated. She got up and put on her crimson dress. The king looked at her, "Do you, do you want some croissants?" You know, again, it you just start improvising. Improvise right for 15 minutes. What's your story? I showered and dressed and stood in front of the bathroom mirror, combing out my wet hair. My kids were screaming from the other side of the door, but I just needed five minutes to myself. Who told me to have kids in the first place? Right, that asshole I had married and fallen in love with 10 years ago. Why couldn't they scream outside his door? Still, I took a deep breath, put on my old Princeton t-shirt, She threw up a pair of jeans and took a deep breath. Already the day was long and it had barely started. So you just start writing and it just, it should prompt you into, you know, propel you forward.
0: I feel like there is so much character in in what you just added to Tori's. We we learn about the Princeton sweat. Like, did she? You know, she's a mom now. She she's did married. She go to Princeton. Did she go to Princeton? Is she a stay at home mom now? That thought that her life would be somewhere else. I have so mm-hmm. many. Oh my gosh, that is
2: fabulous. <laughs> is that a fun prompt? And you guys yeah. can do it. Here's here's a cool thing. Every day, you know, do it for a week, pick out a different book every week, page through it, just randomly stop on your own and use the first sentence as a prompt and just write and see where it takes you. Wow.
1: Yes, I love it. And you're, um, I would just like to add to the list of your
2: many skills, improviser. Hello. (laughs) That was incredible. Thanks. Well, that's what writing is, right? writing is just letting the characters tell you, I mean, that's, that's what I think that's probably when it comes down to it, why I like playwriting more than anything else, because you become one with the character and you let him or her tell you what's going to happen. Okay. Like there's a great monologue in sister cities about, um, Matryoshka dolls and the youngest sister, uh, it's in the, it's in the novel and it's in the play. I don't, I don't know if it made it into the movie. Um, but I I had written, I think, the, the first draft of the play when I was in, visiting Ireland, but I knew that the second act had some issues and I was home in Baltimore visiting my family and my parents had been to Russia quite a few times and we had a bunch of Matryoshka dolls and I was sitting up in my childhood bedroom playing with a doll and all of a sudden I was like, wait a minute, this is Baltimore's monologue about not feeling like um, she carries anything, owns anything, because she's the tiniest doll. So... That's what that's what playwriting is it's improvising in the moment in the head of the character,
1: yes, oh my gosh i I'm so full of <laughs> inspiration oh, well, I'm full of other things too, but I'm full of inspiration right now it it's it's been so much fun talking with you and just. Uh, getting to hear more of your journey than I get in, you know, the Facebook posts. You know what I'm saying? Like, and you're also really prolific on Twitter, too. So you're constantly just kind of, um, you know, continuing to reach out to uh, the people that are up on, on your feed, and not just about writing, but other things as well. You're, you're just a smart cookie, and oh, just it takes a, one to know one, takes two to know one, and a good friggin' human being. I'm,
2: I'm just thank you. I'm that's grateful. the most important thing, honestly. Like people yeah. say, what do you want more out of in life than anything? I just, I hope people will just be kind. You know, that's what it comes down to. Just be nicer. Leave, leave the world, and leave your relationships, and leave everything a little bit kinder than when you first started.
1: Yes deep breath to that mm-hmm. um so what do you have
2: going on you want to pitch something um or many things what, you know what? for now just go see midlife go watch subscribe to midlife mutiny on youtube do that um you can always go check out my website uh which when i'm not lazy to update i update it's just ColetteFriedman.com. uh yeah i'm working and that's on twitter i basically self-promote everything so at Colette Friedman. And uh, yeah, that's it. And and honestly, the the biggest thing I can promote is anyone who's listening to this, meaning our three moms, go out and create something. Yeah. Now's the time, way. you guys. We're in a pandemic. We have a couple more months where we really can't interact with the rest of the world. So use that time wisely and feel like you... Um, you accomplish something when you look back on what 2020 2021 was and say, Oh, I wrote that book, I wrote that play. So go, go write something.
1: And I I love that you are saying that because we do have an opportunity coming up for everyone people have until January 27th to fill out the intent to submit form on our website because we are sponsoring our second uh, contest and it's just a five minute play festival, you know, Um, everyone can write a five minute play, like anyone, I believe people can write a play. Sometimes you just need the tools, you need the guidance from teachers like Colette. Um, So, uh, you know, she mentioned the different places that she teaches, I imagine if if you wanted to sign up for a class with her, that is possible. Am I
2: correct? I guess I think you have to apply to the school and uh, you know, oh yeah it.
0: you're doing it's university, oh, wait, <laughs> yeah, you are, university.
2: You're, well whatever Detail, details. <laughs> well, go, go, get
0: that degree. go get that degree and come um, on
2: people but i'll and, tell you so something what? when i was looking at um your website before this podcast i've already sent a couple people to um write plays for you guys oh my gosh that <gasps> is thank awesome you. Thank i love thank connecting you. people and doing that so i'll uh i'll do that more when i'm when i'm pimping this podcast so literally it's not just our three moms who see it. I'll put in a link to your uh, website so that and then say go. you know if you want to do me a solid, go submit something. it may be crap, but at least you're submitting something and moving forward. That's it's how that, it starts. it's
0: sad, right? it's, yep. it's not it, it's got to move from your computer to the world, right?
1: yeah yeah and and i have to say the the one that we did for halloween it's up on youtube if people want to check it out and just see what we do when we actually produce the plays they it's it's pretty good you know we're we're we are where we are with the pandemic and uh we're making the best of it so
2: join us (laughs) i will i promise i will get my playwriting students to submit stuff to you guys
0: awesome that's great thank Thank you you.
2: colette it's a pleasure thank i'm thank for just, having me you guys that was fun oh, oh
1: thank my gosh you. yeah i could listen to you talk for days for yay.
0: real yay wow tori
1: <laughs> yeah i i'm speechless that was a fantastic interview you know uh, uh colette did not disappoint <laughs> really no um gosh what what i really appreciate about the people we get to speak with is I leave every session having learned something and I feel like I can walk away with that exercise that she gave us. I mean, that is something that you could do every single day, right? You could even use the same book (laughs) and do that every single day. But you know, um, she didn't really talk about this, but I want to say that Colette is a woman that Reaches down and pulls other women up with her. She reaches out a hand. She is about connecting people. She's about making that those connections happen. And, and I, I really appreciate and love that about her. Um, She's just a great human being. So glad we got to have her on the show.
0: Me too. That's awesome. All right. So that wraps up another show for us. If you haven't heard the word, we are in the middle of um, doing a call for submissions, the The final day to submit your interest form. So you must submit an interest form before you can actually submit a script. Um, that submission form is due on January 27th at 11.59 p.m. Pacific time. And we are gearing up for our Valentine's show five minute it's b minute valentine's v for the roman numeral number because we're so
1: clever because
0: we're so clever that way it's so brilliant (laughs) um and that'll be on february 13th at 7 p.m pacific time so we're really excited about that and the entries have already been coming in so that's pretty exciting um and if you have any uh need to get a hold of us First of all, follow us on social media. We're on Facebook. We are on Instagram and Twitter. And we are at heyplaywright.com. And we're on YouTube. And we don't have anything going on on YouTube except for our 5-Minute Frights, which you can check out and see. Um, it's a sample of what is coming, um, right? A, 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 an example of the show that we'll be doing for Valentine's Day. Um, and hopefully we'll get off our butts, Tori, and, and make know. some YouTube YouTube content, but um we will put all of the information in the show notes of how to learn more about Colette because we have to check out her YouTube show. She's a YouTuber. I
1: know. Uh, amongst amongst the many things,
0: and watch Sister Cities on Netflix. It's such a beautiful movie. And with that, uh, we we bid you adieu. Adieu. So long. I don't know if we can we can sing that. We might get in trouble oh, by shoot. the Disney Corporation. Shoot. The Disney people. No, we sang it so poorly. They're like, what is that supposed to be? Oh my even? god,
1: we're so small potatoes. Can you imagine Disney coming after us for singing that?
0: I, I would be so flattered. I would, I'll say that. I would too. I would be like, come get me! Oh my god, come get Gigi. me, Mr. Mouse! Alright, so uh we'll catch you next time. All right. Bye.